<laughs> Round two. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for being here. Again, if you're new, if you're visiting with us, thank you. Uh, we're so appreciative that you've came and worshipped with us. And um, if you go ahead and if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 18. We're going to preach through 31 through 33 this morning. And as you're turning your Bibles, you should have two things in your hand. You should have sermon notes. That's going to follow me. And then you should have Info Guide, which is going to tell you everything that's happening at Parkwood Kings Mountain right now. Um, so we're starting a brand new sermon series this morning. Uh, the last two weeks we've talked about the mission of God, the, the purpose of it, the definition according to Scripture. This week through April 8th, it's a three-week series called The Gospel Display, which you get it. It's about the gospel. And I want to thank the worship team for leading us to the cross this morning because that is exactly where we need to be. So if you're at Luke chapter 18 at verse 31, would you stand with me in the reading of God's word? And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. So, Father God, again, we come before your throne, declaring what we've already been singing. How wonderful, how glorious. Our Savior scars victorious. God, may we boast in the cross this morning. Lord, and I pray that you would do something that only you can do. God, and I would speak into the hearts of men and women this morning. God, that your word would penetrate our hearts. God, that it would pierce us as a sharp two-edged sword. God, and we just proclaim the gospel that Jesus has died, that he's risen. And God, not through him, that, that there is now forgiveness of sins. So Father, may that message be heard. God, you have had a plan, and you are working out that plan. And I pray your very purpose that Jesus came to this earth will be heard clearly. God, that you would be exalted above all things this day. So, Lord, thank you for what you're about to do through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, Luke 18, uh, as we dive into this passage, I just want to understand the context in which we are looking through this morning. So, depending on your Bible, look to the section right before. And depending on what your Bible is, it probably says something about a rich young ruler, rich young man. So this is the context of our passage this morning. And so if you know this story at all, uh, a rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And the young man says, well, I'm doing that. I've been doing that since my childhood. What else must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, he knows him. He knows his life. There is one thing that you can do. And then you will inherit eternal life. That is, sell all your possessions, give it all to the poor, come follow me. So Jesus knew that, knew that he was wealthy. And ultimately, this rich young man, his treasure wasn't in God, it was in his personal, his physical wealth. And Jesus says, if, if you're going to follow me, you've got to give up that treasure of this earth and come follow me, treasure me. If you go throughout the passage then, 
Jesus, it says, when he says that the rich young ruler leaves disappointed, he's upset. And Jesus says that, how difficult is it for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of God? And the disciples say, well, who on earth could be saved? And look at verse 27 with me. Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And here's the promise before our passage. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And then we get to our passage, which is the main point of this entire chapter. So what we're going to find out very quickly is that we can't work our way into salvation this morning. There's nothing that we can do that ever pleases God. We're sinners. We, we fall short daily. And it's only through the path, for a path of eternal life, the only way is through the suffering of Jesus Christ. Another way to say it, one has to follow Jesus to the cross and carry one's own cross for salvation. So in context of our passage, 31 through 33, Jesus and the 12 are going up to Jerusalem for Passover and the Israelites traditionally would go up to worship the Lord God and to make an offering for sin. So they would take an offering for sin with them. And they would go from every direction. So all Israelites are everywhere. And they go up purposely to go worship in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And if you go to Psalm 2134, these psalms are known as the songs of ascent. And the tradition says that these Israelites would sing these psalms as they're going up to Jerusalem to worship. So this morning we can picture Jesus and his disciples singing these songs of freedom and worship to God as they're going up to worship in the temple. So our, our, fo but our focus this morning is Jesus Christ clearly and willingly gave himself to the work of redemption. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus Christ clearly and willingly gave himself to the work of of redemption, and we're going to work through that main theme throughout the rest of our time together. So, if that's true this morning, which I believe is in the text, there's two observations we have to have from the very beginning. Number one, there's a plan or blueprint that Jesus is laying out for us here that is about to take place. Here's the second thing Jesus is the very means by which this plan is fulfilled. Let's say it one more time. Number one, there's a plan or blueprint that Jesus is laying out that is about to take place. And Jesus is the very means by which this plan is fulfilled. So our question this morning is, what is that plan? What's the plan? So I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah 53 with me. As you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and tell you there's a lot of passages this morning. So if you can't flip around, that's fine. we got everything on screen for you. But please, if you would like to, turn there with me. Isaiah 53. We're going to read verse 10. Isaiah writes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Now here's Jesus explaining this, this plan after the resurrection in Luke 24. Read this with me here. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures of things concerning himself. A little bit further in that chapter, this is what it says. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So what's the plan this morning? That the Father would give up his only begotten Son to be crushed for the forgiveness of sins of this world. And Jesus, knowing the Father's plan, he willingly went and suffered and died on the cross. And he faithfully and intentionally sought to fulfill everything that was, had to be done. Luke 9.51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus did not waver. He went intentionally, purposefully, passionately for the forgiveness of our sins this morning. So we got four points in our text today. Number one is that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to accomplish what the prophets declared. Verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. So Jesus is going here. He is, he is leaning on what the prophets said, or in other words, what the Word of God says about himself. And don't forget that these very prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus even came to this earth. So Jesus goes back in the text and he says, this is what the prophets have declared what will be accomplished by the Son of Man. So accomplished literally means that will be finished, will be completed by the Son of Man. So our question is, who is this Son of Man? And where can we find this reference? And I'm going to point you to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And the prophet writes, starting at verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. So we know if you read the Gospels that one of Jesus' favorite references of himself is the Son of Man. And we see that in our text this morning. But according to our text that we just read in Daniel, this Son of Man is going to be an eternal king. He's going to receive all dominion, all glory, all power. All nations are going to serve him. But Jesus in our passage says that this son of man is going to suffer. There's a lot of bad things going to happen to him. How, how can that be? That doesn't make sense. Why should the son of man suffer when he's supposed to receive dominion and authority and power? And the simple answer is that Jesus saw and fully understood that the exalted son of man would first be the humiliated son of man. He would be the suffering Servant, Philippians 2 says that Jesus, being the likeness of God, humbled himself to the point, even to the point of death on a cross. 
few passages. Psalm 22, 6 through 7. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their hands. Jeremiah eleven nineteen. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the living land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. It says there that he was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. So I don't know if you're like me. We have pets. Uh, we didn't really get on the pet train about five years ago at my parents' house. And um, so me and Megan were still dating at that time, even before we got engaged. And she liked huskies. So, of course, I'm going to impress her and buy a husky. And uh, this little white bundle of fluff that sheds everywhere has become a joyful part of our family. It's the craziest dog you'll ever meet. But she's loving her and the other dog. And, and I have now become the spokesperson to usually take her to the vet and the, uh, get her hair cut. If you know anything about pets, they don't like vets and they don't like haircuts. Why? Because they're scared of it. But this is what I've, I didn't have to do it this past time, but in the past, from my parents' house to Bessemer City's Animal Vets, about 10-minute drive, and it never fails, it always happens. You put the dog in the truck, she sheds everywhere, but she's happy, she's excited, and she can't wait to see where she's going to go. And so we take her to Bessemer City, we go through Dameron Road, and we go through all the country roads, and dogs have a better sense than most animals, but... It never fails. She's happy. She's excited. But she starts seeing landmarks in Bessemer City where she's like, uh-oh, something's bad about to happen. And so if you go through Bessemer City, you'll turn on, uh, I think it's Philadelphia Road, might be wrong. The rock gym, the old rock gym is on the left. And you take a right at that road. You've got Grandma Hoyt and you've got the animal vet. When you take a right on that road, it never fails. That dog will start seeing that animal vet. And she starts freaking out. You think the Armageddon is about to take place in that car. And we end up having to drag her in or carrying her in. And she is horrible at the, the vet. But here's the point. Animals really don't know where they're going. They just follow who leads them. Think about it. You have pets, they follow you. They don't really know what's happening. In the Bible, we are compared to sheep. And sheep are known as not being the the wisest animal. They're, they're easily led astray. They're easily led away. And absolutely, we're much like that this morning, right? But I just want to notice in this passage, notice how poised Jesus is. He knows what's about to take place. Yet, He doesn't go unknowing. He passionately goes for the sake of the redemptive plan of God. He knows what the prophets declare. He knows what lies ahead. Yet he's faithful, consistent. He did not waver from this redemptive plan. Second point, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem fully anticipating the horror that awaits him. Verse 32 and 33. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. So, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 33. So, not the Gospels are the very, pretty much the first three Gospels in the New Testament. And 
And what you're going to find is if you read all three, all three of them, there's many things that's the same in all the Gospels. I just want to encourage you that they're there to complement each other. You're having the whole story, and that's what we're going to have here. Mark doesn't add something that Luke doesn't have. He just puts a full understanding of this prediction that Jesus declares in this passage. In Mark 10, verse 33 through 34, Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So let me again tell you this. Mark and Luke are not in division about this third prediction of his death. They're complimenting each other. In fact, you can find the, the detail of being handed over to the chief priests and scribes earlier in the Gospel of Luke. But with all that said, let's combine both these passages together and look at the seven details that Jesus said will happen him when he gets to Jerusalem. So the first thing is that the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of chief priests and scribes. Two, they will condemn him to death. Three, they will hand him over to the Gentiles. Four, they will mock him, spit upon him. Five, scorch him. Six, kill him. Seven, three days later, he will rise again. Jesus knows what's going to be fulfilled. He's both fully God and fully man. The events that are going to transpire are not random or by accident. They are fully detailed to a point and are known prior to taking place. So let's look at a few physical predictions being fulfilled in the scriptures. So Mark 14, 43 through 46. Jesus is being betrayed by Judas. They're in the garden and it says, and immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. Mark 14, 62 through 65. So Jesus is now arrested. He's in the middle of the council. And it says that, But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the clouds received him, guards received him with blows. So one, one prediction that I just want to briefly discuss is the third prediction, which is being handed over to the Gentiles, and we're not going to read it, but the physical fulfillment of this prediction can be found in Matthew 27, 24 through 31. So I encourage you later on and read that passage, Matthew 27, 24 through 31. But my question is this. So there are, there are political reasons why Jesus had to be handed over to the Gentiles. One reason would be that the Jewish courts did not have authority to impose the death penalty 
But I just want to look at the theological reasoning of what that means to be handed over to the Gentiles this morning. So for first century Jews, that's the close of the disciples and Jesus, uh, most of the Jews did not expect uh, uh, a suffering king. They, they expected a Messiah that would come to be a political king who would remove oppression from them immediately at that moment. And for the Messiah to suffer did not make sense. But the idea that this suffering would happen in the hands of the Gentiles was even crazier to even think about. Because for a first century Jew, to be handed over to the Gentiles was even seen as the worst possible outcome. The Jews were handed over to the Gentiles into exile, which was the worst of all the covenant curses, because it meant being outside of the land of blessing. Simply put, to be delivered over to the Gentile authorities then was to be under the judgment of God. R.C. Sproul writes, to be placed into the hands of the Gentiles was to be sent outside the covenant community, outside the camp, outside the place where the presence of God was concentrated and focused. So Jesus' prediction that, that in our passage this morning be handed over to the Gentile authorities was not just a prediction of physical suffering in their hands. It was a prediction that he would absolutely be our sin bearer at the cross. Jesus proclaimed that he was going to be our penal substitutionary atonement, which is the fancy word for basically means that the Messiah was standing in our place, his people, to receive our curse and that we would receive his righteousness in return. We sank at the very first lines this morning. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness in him. Simply put, Jesus will receive our just punishment at the cross so that we would receive his righteousness in his place. Which leads us right to the third point. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to give himself as the offering for sin. Go back to verse 33. So he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Here's a long quote. Going up to Jerusalem must be understood as having reference not only to physical ascent, it is far more than that. It must be interpreted as a matter not just pertaining to the feet, but also to the heart. In Jerusalem was God's temple. God's people wended their way to Jerusalem to worship, and this included bringing an offering for their sin. Jesus is now going up to Jerusalem to bring himself as the offering for the sin of the world. A few passages, John 1.29. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The prophet Isaiah writes, 100 years before Jesus even comes to the earth, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
So in context, the Jews would bring their own sacrifices to the temple of God for their sin. Jesus being the only one ever in the history of humanity to live a perfect, sinless, blameless life. Gave his own self up. Gave his own life up. Shed his own blood to be our one-time, perfect, wrath-absorbing, sin-atoning, righteous-giving sacrifice at the cross. Our great high priest does not have to give sacrifices each year. He's gave the one sacrifice that's needed for all of time. Jesus is the only way that man can find salvation in relationship with God. He is our perfect mediator. And now in this passage, he is going up intentionally, purposefully to Jerusalem to give his body and sacrifice, his own blood to cover the sins of this world. But that's not it. Fourth point, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem knowing that he will rise again. Back to verse 33. And after flogging him, they will kill him. But on the third day, he will rise. Here's a quote. The passion is not defeat, but victory. Jesus this morning is not dead. He's alive. Death cannot hold him down. He's forever alive. He is our reigning king. A few passages, we're not going to read them, but later on for study, prophesying Jesus' resurrection in the Old Testament. Psalm 16, 9 through 11. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. Hosea 6, 1 through 2. Oh, but listen to this passage this morning. John 10, 14 through 18. One of the great I am passages of the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Listen, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus went to the cross purposely, willingly. He wasn't killed by man. He gave his life up to man. Jesus has the authority to give his life for the sins of, every, of many. And he has the authority to raise his own life back up. That's how powerful Jesus is this morning. So right now, would you go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2 with me? That's where we're going to stay to the end this morning. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. In this context, Holy Spirit comes in Jerusalem as the believers are sitting and waiting and praying. They begin prophesying in different tongues, all the different languages there. And while the people are hearing these prophecies and hearing these great truths about God, Peter stands up to all these people and probably gives one of the greatest sermons in the entire biblical narrative. And this is where it starts, verse 22. We're just going to read through 24 for the sake of time. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, 
this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But listen, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible, it was not possible, church, for him to be held by it. This morning, the cross, resurrection are the defining moments, the marks of our Christian faith. Everything hinges on what Jesus has done for us. Our faith is not about what we can do for God. It's about what God did do through Jesus for us. We place our faith in him. We cling to him. We boast in Jesus this morning. He is our ransom. He's our hope. He's our treasure. He alone is our salvation. Alone. So what? This morning, my simple question for you is this. Am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation? Right there in Acts chapter 2. Later on, after Peter proclaims a sermon, this is a response to the people listening, starting at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is what Peter says to them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So this morning, are you placing your faith, your trust in Jesus for your salvation? Do you know him personally? Do you know him relationally? Do you know him intimately? He's a good God. He's gracious. He's merciful. If you don't, I plead with you. Repent of your sins. Put your faith and trust in his grace and his work alone. Have you ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Jesus came to this earth, the only perfect person in the history of humanity, fully God, fully man, knowing what was going to happen to him at the cross. He still passionately went to the cross. He paid a debt that we could never pay. He died a death that we completely deserve. He, he bore God's wrath at the cross, and through his perfect sacrifice, there is now righteousness found through him because he said it was finished. And he is alive forevermore. And I plead with you again. Just repent of your sins this morning. Place your faith in Jesus. The second point, believer. Am I anticipating the fulfillment of the gospel? Revelation 1, 7 through 8, which sounds much like Daniel 7, says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus raised from that. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the reigning, undisputed, conquering King. He's one day coming back for his church. And my question simply for you this morning is, as we continue in our journey of life and as we are living in our tangible, relational, everyday environments, are we living in such a way 
that we are earnestly seeking the future fulfillment of Jesus' return. Does your life reflect your trust in the finished work of Christ in a life that has been ransomed and redeemed to be holy and blameless before a holy God? Are we being faithful with the proclamation of the gospel, not only with our mouths, but the way we live? As we look toward that beautiful day when Christ comes back for us, we resurrect with him. We can boastfully proclaim that it's only by the blood that we've been forgiven. It's only through his work. It's only through him that he's holding us now. And may we be faithful for his work. Let's pray. So, Father, God, we again just thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that the cross wasn't an accident. God, I thank you this morning that you loved the world this much, that you gave your only begotten Son, who paid a sinner's debt on the cross, who made a one-time forever payment for our sins. And now through his atoning work, we can be ransomed into your family. God, I thank you for that today. Would I pray this morning, God, for the, the person in the room who does not know Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with you, God. Where though the sins of the world, the curse of the world, might be as deep as the core of the earth, your grace abounds over everything. And Jesus' payment is enough for anything that ever takes place in their life. God, I pray this morning, would you call them to yourself? God, would you bring them to repentance and belief? in the person and work of Jesus? And would you show them the glory and majesty of all that he is so that we can savor and rejoice in all that you are? Oh God, and as we continue on in this life, may we be faithful with your mission, knowing that in due time, you are going to come back and call us home to you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that what you say happens. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus and for your salvation. The Lord is my strength. He is my soul. He has given me the victory. So right now, if you don't know Jesus, I just encourage you again. I plead with you this morning. Would you repent of your sins? Would you turn away from it? Place your hope and trust in everything that you are in Jesus because he is absolutely the greatest Savior you could ever imagine. So we stand and respond.